Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now, I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then and you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email from a caller that said that they really wanted to understand how recovery could change sex addiction, urges, and cravings. And the truth is, what we know for a fact is that it is very possible to be able to do that. And how you do that is by creating substitute behaviors that that actually enhance and develop new neural circuitry in the brain. And so that is how that works, and I want you to know that. Now, today I have a very exciting guest who has just co-written a book on something that we just don't talk about. And that is adult children of sex addicts. You know, the truth is, you've listened to my podcast. I've probably had 10 adult children talk about what it was like to be in that relationship. But now we have Ken Adams, um, who is going to be talking about that collaboration with co-authors where they really did the research. They really interviewed people. And they, you know, they're going to talk about how confused and ashamed and mistrustful it can leave an adult child who has dealt with his or her mother's sex addiction. So, Ken, I really want to welcome you to the show, and I'm just super excited for you to do that. And you can unmute now and just take it away. So, let's see here. If you would, Ken, go ahead and unmute, and we can take it away. But you are on mute. There you go. Oh, oh I was on. We had to reverse. Yeah. 
Well, I, I didn't hear what you said. Well, I just sang your praises, and I said, I am telling you, you have done a fantastic job with this book. I mean, Thank you. now I'm talking about Light in the Dark, The Hidden Legacy of Adult Children of Sex Addicts. And, and Ken went and collaborated with a couple of other authors, and you just really, you brought this issue to light. So tell me, what made you decide that you were going to educate the world about what it's like to be an adult child of a sex addict? Well, uh, let me get it one clarity. Are we on um, screen or just audio? Audio. Oh, okay. Because I have a few notes. I, I don't know if you know, but since, I, since the book's been out, I'll answer your question. I have done a survey of adult children. So I have 104 respondents, and I asked them what their experience was. I had about 15 questions. So I've, I've got my notes and my statistics in front of me, so I, I'm going to refer to them at some point. Because it's interesting to, to listen to their stories. Um, so I did have help. I have co-authors, Dr. Mary Meyer and Kelly Vandergaard. And um, that's important because I had this book in my head, oh, I don't know, um, at least 20 years, Carol, maybe 25 and um, I, I, I felt that if I was going to write a book on adult children or sex addicts, excuse me, that I needed to tell my story. But I was not going to do it alone. <laughs> I was not going to put my story in a book by myself. Right. So um, I had been asking during my trainings of fellow therapists and CSAC over the years if anybody would be willing to join me. And sure enough, about five years ago, um, Mary and uh, Cody sat me down, sort of like an intervention. Accordingly, <laughs> and so we agreed. It took us three years to write it, and uh, it, it really, I think, more than anything in my work, although most of my work comes out of my personal experience at some level. Uh, but this book, um, you know, I, I grew up as an adult child. I started my personal recovery as an adult child of an alcoholic parent and a sex addict parent, but you couldn't talk about that stuff at, at adult children or parents. I mean, nobody said not to, but, but nobody was doing it. And um, so I always felt there was an, I, a piece of the story that wasn't told. And so I, I always wanted to tell it, um, but it felt very personal to me, so I wanted to get my story in the book. So the first three chapters are our personal stories. So Mary and Cody wrote theirs too, courageously. And we feel pretty pretty good about that. It feels a little vulnerable, but it originated from that in, in the seed in my head. But then over the years, um, you know, you you know as well as I do how much effort has gone into working with addicts and partners. And I think finally we have the right mix, we have the right formula. It's not easy work, but it, it works when we when people are willing to do it. But the truth of the matter is, is the legacy continues in spite of the healing of the sex addict in the partner. And the kids grow up into adulthood, and even if their parents get into recovery later and do some healing, they carry the burden. And so the legacy of sex addiction doesn't stop with the healing of the partner or the addict. Uh-huh. And I wanted to put that stake in the ground and say, look, if you really want to stop the legacy, you're going to have to deal with the next generation. So that was that was the professional reason behind the book, is I wanted to say, all right, we have we have a model sensitive to addicts, and now we have a model sensitive to partners, but we do not have a model that's sensitive to the adult children who grew up in those systems. 
And uh, their view is different than both the addicts and the partners, even though I think over the years, much of the adult child's um, experience was assumed it was like the partners. And there's a, there certainly is a shared variance. They, they certainly both feel betrayed and impacted. But the, the adult children also report being impacted by the partner's attempts to control the system and so forth. So the, the, uh, that, that group of that voice, I thought really needed to come out. And I think that's where we're going to finally try to arrest the legacy of what we call sexual shame. So sexual shame was really the link for us. So. Well, and you're so astute. You've lived this as well as you know it because um, you've been in the business forever and ever. And, and clearly children, whether they're adult or whether they're teens or toddlers, we haven't done a very good job of developing services for them anyway. So when I read this book, I thought this is the start of hopefully a landslide in a good way of services that are going to be available for family systems, period. Because you and I both know that even for partners and addicts that get healthy, there is so much angst and so much turmoil. And as a result, the kids feel it if they don't know it. And then when they do know it, they may have been a parental surrogate. And regardless, there is so much shame and mistrust that develops by being the child of an addict. And like you said, when somebody's a sex addict, they probably have at least another addiction, at least one. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so you mentioned sexual shame. Can we spin off on that? Because I think that's important. Yeah. Because what we, what we wanted to point to in the book was, was obviously the, the, the voices and the legacy of adult children directly impacted by the addict's behavior, uh-huh. but also the, the system as a whole. So, you know, anytime you have an addict in the system, the whole system is impacted. And you know that with your work with partners. But, but what we notice is that the transmitting issue, because we have, we have some, I have these stats looking, looking right at them. Some of them witnessed a, a high percentage, 88% witnessed their parents fighting about the sexual behavior. Okay. But, but um, I'm sorry, a lower percentage reported that, but a higher percentage reported being impacted. So the kids knew, even if they didn't witness, right. they knew. Mm-hmm. And and and, the, and what got transmitted in the in the data, as well as what we try to link in the book, is the the sexual shame that comes from the sexually addicted system. First of all, the the inappropriateness and the betrayal of the behavior itself. But the other thing that we see in these systems is a lot of duplicity about sexuality. So on one hand, we're really religious or over-moralizing family system, or we try to control sexuality, or we don't talk about it, but we have a secret over here that we're not telling anybody about. So the children grow up with mixed messages about sexuality. And that, so, you know, a kid emerging in, in young, uh, early adolescence and, and exploring their sexuality through no fault of theirs runs into this shame-based system. The addict's behavior and then the partner's, through no fault of her own, attempts to control the behavior, 
inadvertently and more often than we might like. In fact, we have um, 65% impacted by the partner's attempt to control sexuality in the system. So both parents are playing a role in passing on the message that I'm bad for having a sexuality. Uh-huh. Right, so we've got the we've got the partner covering up the child's eyes when a when a movie scene comes on because she's reacting to her out of control husband, right? So she's going to make sure her son doesn't turn out like her husband. What she fails to notice is that she has now played a role in passing on the shame, you know, which is unfortunate because partners have enough to deal with. But this, I've been, I've actually done two other shows on partners, and they've been very, very positively received around this because they've noticed, they've noticed that they've transferred some of the uh, un, uh, unintended control over to the children. So what we notice is the children are bumping into the sexual shame. Sex is bad. The addict's bad. Don't think about it. Don't do it. And then if they grow up in a system that's morally rigid, for example, mm-hmm. uh, in attempt to control, then you really got a problem. Then those adults, then those children grow up to be adults and they have kids. Mm-hmm. And they may never have witnessed their, so the grandchildren do not witness the inappropriate behavior, but now they have two adult children who are still busy trying to control sexuality. So two generations down, mm-hmm. we have sexual shame transmitted it started up here with the sex addict's behavior, impacting his system, the children, the adult children, and now the children of the adult children. So we're trying to call attention to that. We're saying, look, at time to notice that these kids are being impacted. Well, and you know, when I think about my training way back in 2007, what we learned was that sex addicts had, had, come, had grown up in disengaged and rigid families to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then that contributes to the sex addiction. And then on top of this, for the partners and to do that trauma dance and, and have more disengagement and more rigidity, mm-hmm. um, it, it's inevitable that the kids would feel that whether they understand it, and eventually they do, or not. Right. Now, right. Yeah, and so right. I want to ask you, um, you said your study had 104 people? Yeah, 104 people to date. Wow. Ken, congratulations. That's huge. That is huge. Yeah. When you get over 100, you feel good about your survey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, then, you know, it's, still, it's my first survey. It needs to be tweaked a little bit, but there's some good information coming out of it. You know, one thing I, I'll, I'll mention to you that I, I was been surprised by. I gave my first public presentation on the book to a group of uh, sex recovering sex addicts, very committed recovering sex addicts, males in this case. And um, a few of them started crying during the presentation. I said, what's going on? And they said, I've been trying to make amends for shame that's not mine. It's my dad's. Uh-huh. It's my mother's. So, and then when I talked to partners, they, they said, you know, I've married two or three sex addicts and I've been told not to look at my family of origin because I don't want to be blamed. But the truth is, my father was a sex addict. Finally, somebody's letting me look at the whole story. Uh-huh. So, so we get a lot of reports, by the way. You won't be surprised by this. Um, and I don't have percentages for you because it's a question I didn't directly ask, but I'm getting it in the feedback section. A lot of the adult children have gone on to either become sex addicts or marry sex addicts. Uh-huh. 
that no surprise. Sense. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, because they they carried on this generational pattern of eighty eight percent. Let me see. 80 percent of the adult children says they're still trying to fix their family of origin. Eighty percent, eight out of ten are saying yes. It's still bothering me. Yes, I'm still trying to fix my dad and my mother. Yes, I still put up with this. Yes, I'm having a hard time. So if you think about that, it's hard if you're trying to fix your family of origin still to not imagine that you could reproduce it. You could wind up going out there and marrying somebody you missed the cues on or something, mm-hmm. or in no fault of your own, didn't see it coming. <clears throat> so what do you think is the answer what are some of the solutions or at least some of the treatment recommendations for an adult child who is struggling so badly with this? Yeah, good question. So, yeah, so let's just look at it through the lens of the adult child. Because I think for children under, under 18 in the home, it's a different, a different set of conditions and recommendations. So, yes, let's just stay with the adults out of the home. Okay. Or ideally out of the home. Well, I, first of all, it, it's important to recognize that they're carrying shame that's not theirs, that their father or mother's inappropriate behavior, sexually addictive behavior, uh, was not their fault, even though many of them report being used as proxies, being used as lookouts, or the other way around, being used by the other parents to search for the other parents or to break up the tryst. And so, first of all, to know that it's not their fault and to begin to disinherit the shame and say, no, 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 this is not mine. I'm not going to keep feeling bad about who I am sexually because of what you did. So, you know, the shame reduction position, that, and sometimes this is a one-day-at-a-time commitment. And, and then I think it's, it's certainly boundaries. So if you're still going home or visiting family um, for holidays or otherwise, and dad is still making sexual remarks about women or sexual jokes, it's, it's time to say, look, you know, I, I'm not I'm not available for that anymore. If you continue, I'm going to need to leave. So certainly having boundaries um, and changing your role within the system mm-hmm. and, being willing, and saying to mom, you know what, I'm not going to listen to your complaints about dad. This is not my problem. You've got to work it out. I'm sorry you feel this way, but your story is not my story. So as delicately and compassionately as you can to begin to, to end the moment, Set those boundaries. And so, okay, I'm not going to participate anymore. This is not my problem. I love you both. This is for you to work out. And I, I love that because that's boundaries and it's assertiveness. And assertiveness mm-hmm. means you're clear and direct about what you think and who you are. And Where my limits are. Where yeah. my limits are. Right. Sometimes people misuse boundaries as weapons. I'm going to, you can't do this. Well, you can't make somebody do or not do something. But you can't say if this continues, my limit is I'm going to have to leave. Yeah. I'm sorry. Or I'm not going to bring my kids around if you're going to make sexual jokes about women's bodies. Or you're going to comment on my weight. That's not happening anymore, Dad. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, or mom, because sometimes the, the, the whole system conceptualizes gender and um, and bodies and over-sexualize and over-focus on bodies and, and issues. So, you know, so as an adult child, you've got to start to pick up what are the characteristics that I'm carrying from my family and how are they still active? And I have to start setting some boundaries. And I have to start asking myself, is this who I want to be? 
So beginning to change the commitment to self and say, wait a minute, I'm not an extension of my father's sex addiction. I don't need to be his sexualized girlfriend anymore and act out sexually and become a sexual woman. It's time for me to bring that in. So then identifying the roles that you play. So we, we pick, we, uh, we describe five roles in the book. Uh-huh. And so like the adult child of alcoholic movement, uh, we're where adult children learned, and I learned this uh, in my recovery, is that adults who grew up in dysfunctional systems, alcoholic systems, sexually addicted systems, tend to play roles because the system needs to operate. And so the kids will fill in where it needs to be filled in. So the roles that we identified were the moral hero, which is different than the responsible hero we see in adult children, alcoholics. The moral hero is the kid who grows up to be the policeman, the lawyer, the rabbi, the priest, the pastor, the minister, it's just, I'm going to moralize and control everybody else so you don't see what's happening in my family. So they become a self-righteous sort of beacon of goodness, but hiding the family shame. Mm-hmm. So burning the shame, and ironically, oftentimes acting out themselves sexually. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second role we identified was the emotional caretaker. Um, the, the, the girl or boy who says, mommy's hurting, and I don't want her hurting, so I'll be by her side. I won't leave her. Mm-hmm. And so this is the empathic child who absorbs the pain, and the parent in, in their um, unintended um, grief uh, or uh, passes on. And, you know, if the addicts are unavailable, sometimes they'll use the child to support them, which is costly to the child. So identifying that I'm a caretaker and I can't keep passing that out to everybody, right? Your problems are not my, I can't make your problems my problems. Uh-huh. Uh, the third one, which is a close cousin for that one, is the surrogate husband or surrogate uh, wife that I wrote about him when he's married to mom and Sally to do. So this is a kid in the family who specifically plays the, sex, the, the girlfriend to the father or the boyfriend or the husband to the mother. So a little more specific. And again, it's, no, I'm not available anymore for that. Then the last two, uh, one is the sexualized um, um, addict, the kid, the the child who, a girl or a boy, who sees that the person in the family who has the power is the addict. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to identify with them. I'm going to become like them. I'm going to sexualize everybody. I'm going to make sure that I'm the one now acting out and doing it to others before they do it to me, because I don't want to be like my mother was over in the corner crying. And so I'm going to identify with the addicts. The trouble is that they pass on the behavior that they once were impacted by. And then, and then lastly is what we call the truth teller. This is a kid, both as a child and as a adult, who's always in your face. They, they make good therapists, by the way. We, our, our ranks are filled with truth tellers. Mm-hmm. And um, which is a good thing, but and sometimes the truth tellers need to learn to back off so that they don't get scapegoated. And, and, and oftentimes, and the other thing that people need to know as adult children is once you begin to identify these characteristics and role and, and not participate in the system, the system's going to come after you. Your siblings, your cousins, your, 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 your parents, even, even the parent who was once uh, victimized by the addict's behavior may call you and say, well, look, at, dad's upset. I don't want to deal with him. Why don't you come over and visit with him, you know? 
And um, so you have to be prepared as you recover that the system is going to try to bring you back in. Uh-huh. You have to hold your ground and say, look, I love you, but I'm not going to participate in, in, in the same way anymore with you. I'm done listening to his jokes. That's not happening anymore, Mom. I'm sorry you're dealing with it. I wish you wouldn't, but I'm not going to. So the truth teller has to learn when to speak up and when to sort of back off and and take care of herself or himself and not put herself in the line of fire all the time. Uh-huh. Because uh, and be prepared that it's not a welcome it's not a welcome role. So learning those roles is critical in the recovery process. Yeah, and you can see why they make good counselors because yes. they obviously know right from wrong. They know how to speak, but they end up getting victimized as a, as part of that. And as a counselor, you have to just keep working through that, saying, "This is not yes. my issue. This is their issue. This is not about me. This is about them." And, and you do that with your clients. I had to learn to do that with my clients. I took on my clients' problems way too much. Uh-huh. In the beginning of my practice, and I had to find some not my marriage. I want to do my best to help you, but mm-hmm. you know, I didn't tell them that way, right? I had to tell myself that mm-hmm. that I can absorb and be compassionate. And if you don't want to see the truth, I can't make you see the truth. Right? Okay. And it's a it's a it's an interesting role as a as a as a um, healthcare provider or a therapist, right? Mm-hmm. Is that you can see things that the client isn't ready or able to see. And you have to be very, of course, we're not doing a training on therapists, but the therapists have to be very careful not to overstep their boundaries because sometimes people are just ready. And these family systems, they don't want to hear from you. Uh-huh. Let's be clear about that. Uh-huh. Right? If they're not in recovery, uh, if mom and dad are not in recovery, then there's a good chance you're going to get turned away and scapegoated. Right. Even if they're in recovery, they're going to want to know why you keep making a big deal out of this. We're doing our part now. Well, the trouble is, it's, it, now the adult children are finally catching up. Okay, fine, you guys are, you know, back making nice with each other, but you left a legacy for us. Mm-hmm. Now I've got to deal with this, right? You guys are stable, but I'm not. So the adult child is taking the system with them. Mm-hmm. They're taking the legacy of that sexually addictive system with him. And they need to know that. That's the most, of all the things I hope your listeners pick up on, I would say that's the biggest one, is understand that just because you moved across the country, it doesn't mean you didn't take the legacy of your family system sexual shame triggered by the addiction, or maybe even a generation before the addiction, you're at it, Karen. You're taking that system with you. Well, that's a very, very good point. I want to remind our listeners that I'm talking with Dr. Ken Adams, and he just co-wrote A Light in the Dark, The Hidden Legacy of Adult Children of Sex Addicts, first book ever that I'm aware of that deals with this topic. And, um, you know, I always tell my clients, other trainees, professionals, we are pioneers in this field. It just has not been around long enough Mm-hmm. for there to be a lot of information, especially as we be, begin to morph out into families. And so this is exciting, exciting work. And you have just done a beautiful job. I mean, you make it so engaging. And then, you know, you go through the roles and you go through that sexual shame. And I believe most people have sexual shame anyway, let alone yeah. 
you know. Yes, you can't grow up in a culture without getting sexual shame, right? Oh, precisely. Yeah, I've been I've been talking lately, uh, getting a little ahead of ourselves. I'm going to talk about this at the keynote that we're, we're both going to be at. Mm-hmm. But I've been looking at three sources of sexual shame, and the adult children have been teaching me this. One is a legacy that you pick up from two generations before someone's abortion, someone's affair, getting transmitted attitudes and posturing and moralizing two or three generations, and you kind of grow up into this family that all of a sudden have these extreme positions or attitudes or whatever. And here you are, an innocent kid, just trying to learn his or her way in their sexuality, and you begin to feel that. Those who didn't talk about that. Right. You know, and then, so I called it inherited shame. Then there's assimilation, that which you witness, your parents' sex addiction, your early parents' uh, attempt to control, the no fault of own, the addict, and your behavior. So then you collect another source of shame that is happening right in the system. You know, if somebody makes a sexual remark about your body or you don't feel pretty enough or handsome enough. And so now you're collecting or assimilating shame. So now you've got two sources. And then the third is, is uh, what I refer to as collected, and that is if you're acting out mm-hmm. uh, or maybe you partner with, you know, two or three sex addicts and you go, what's wrong with me? So you begin to feel like it's your fault. Uh-huh. So soon you've got three layers of shame, sexual shame that you're carrying. And then add to it the culture. <laughs> and, and it's really hard to escape it. So part of the recovery process is sort of unburdening that. I have people draw it sometimes uh-huh. to really take it on a, on a piece of artwork so they can see and feel what they're what they've internalized, mm-hmm. and to begin to get it outside themselves, right? This is not mine. I want it away from me, you know. So that's a, that's a good way to have boundaries as to, and we learn that from the internal family system therapist, is to identify the parts of us that are carrying shame and say, no, 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 I want this out of me, you know. So drawing EMDR, all the, all the good stuff we know about in the therapy field can help you. Yeah, and you know, Kim, I think about this situation, and I think about the many adult children that I've worked with, and clearly sex addiction's been around forever, this stuff has been around forever, but that added dynamic of now with the internet being so accessible, so many of my adult children had growing up, teenage years, they were contacted by affair partners, prostitutes, and stuff. And so there's that level of they're being brought in from the enemy, the other person that's breaking up their family. And what do they do with that? And who do they tell? And do they go to mom or do they go to dad, depending on who's the sex addict? And, you know, the the Internet has just really complicated things because it makes all of us accessible, you know. And... When people are utilizing crazy behavior, they they get crazier. And so I can't believe how many adult children that I have worked with that have been blackmailed by somebody out Mm -hmm. there that was part of the acting Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, part of that recovery is to turn those secrets over to where they belong, back to their parents. Mm -hmm. This this is not mine care. You guys deal with this, right? To get out from underneath that. Um, and uh, yes, I've heard that story too, you know, where, where there's a lot more, um, being held hostage almost in these systems, you know, from the outside. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, I'll be interested in seeing you. You mentioned that this this is the first book. It is the first book. Um, a colleague of ours, Dr. Dr. Linda Hatch, you probably know. Linda. Oh, I do. Yeah, she wrote uh, a couple blogs and did a nice job um, years ago now. And then um, Nick Hunter, many years ago, wrote an article on attempt um, at 12-step support group for adult children, which collapsed. It's reinvigorated there in the back of the book. There is a, there is a link to um, uh, or information on how to link up to an adult children sex addict name. Um, but this is the first complete work on adult children. And we, we patterned it specifically after the um, adult children of alcoholic literature. We know characteristics, roles, recovery. We purposely did not use any other models uh-huh. because over the years, adult children of sex addicts have been housed under underneath many umbrellas. Uh-huh. You know, addiction, love addiction, sex addiction, partner trauma, um, IFS, everything. And we said, no, we're not using any. Because that was a big debate among us and, and, as co-authors is, should we expand this book and make it sort of integrate other models? other treatment models so we can kind of talk to how you might use a different model, a partner trauma model. And my position was, which was interesting, we, we kind of bantered this around, was look at, we, we need to have this through the eyes of the adult child exclusively. First, let's get his or her voice heard. And then there's a second book down the road if somebody wants to write it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to write it down. I'm pretty much coming to an end there. Well, can I, can I ask you, I was sitting here, you know, I am 67 and thinking about leaning into retirement and you just can't do that when you write books because it opens up all sorts of presentations and appearances and people Mm -hmm. contacting you going, please, please, please. Now, I know you run and you have how many practitioners in your clinic? Well, let's see. I think eight now. And that's in Michigan, right? Yes, 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 yes. And we do have an adult. So one of my associates, uh, one of the reasons I brought her on Mm -hmm. uh, was because this was a specialty interest for her. I'll let her tell where that came from. I won't do that for her. But she's very good, Melania Sinclair. And so I have a a number of people. It's been hard to find therapists sometimes, as you Mm -hmm. probably know. Mm -hmm. So I have some people licensed in Michigan from out of state, so they're doing Mm zone. So we have an educational um, um, uh, workshop that we do, strictly education, that Alani is running. So, um, so we we like that a lot. So we're getting out there with that. Um, I, I'm trying not to do more. So I'm turning this over to her. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, you know. So the book was um, was a heartfelt contribution for me. I don't have a lot of interest in writing it as a necessary another professional. Um, uh, Text. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Leg of my practice or something. Although it just happened naturally, I just, I just wanted it out there before I, you know, retire at some point myself. You know, right. Get get it out there. I got to tell everybody. Both uh, Ken and I are on the ITAP uh, faculty, and mm-hmm. you have been a faculty member for ITAP, which is the organizing body that. Um, creates CSATs and certifies us. How long have you been with ITAP? <laughs> I was trying to add that up. I was the first. I was the first um, 
facilitator that Patrick Carnes turned over his material to, which was quite an interesting experience, I might add. We, we laugh about it sometimes. Was there, he, was, he was having a hard time letting it go. So that's probably... 2008? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh-huh. So 15 years, I think. I was going to say 15 years, uh-huh. yes. My class yeah. was 2007, and I knew that was his last class. So I just missed you. Oh, wow. I'll be done. Mm-hmm. I'll be done. How do you like that? What an honor, Ken. What an honor to be the recipient of him turning over something, you know, that he was probably like a Rottweiler, not wanting to let go of no, at all. No, he wasn't wanting to let go of it. He just made an interesting conversation. <laughs> I bet. I bet. And, you know, Ken mentioned earlier CSAD, and that obviously is a certified sex addiction therapist. And I know most of you know that, but you would not believe how many newbies this show gets every week. You know, people that this has just happened to them, and they are looking for answers. You know, mm-hmm. I had the oldest podcast in the world on sex addiction. There was not one other podcast in 2007. Wow. And one year after my podcast, I looked at the demographics, and it was 52% women. And I went, oh, that's so many female sex addicts. And then I went, oh, no, it isn't. Those are women trying to understand what's going on with their husbands. And now look at the podcast. We have zillions. And you're going to be very busy talking about this situation um, because, this is going to open up the eyes of people that have hidden in shame and haven't acknowledged to anybody what's gone on in the family. Mm-hmm. It's so responsible to continue to try to repair their family and help their mother or their mother recover from her pain or her or their father from I, I use the gender male sex addict. But we have a lot of, by the way, we have a lot of respondents who identified that both parents were addicted. Mm-hmm. I know when I say a lot, more than I expected. Mm-hmm. I mean it's not it's not fifty percent, but it's you know twenty percent or something. I'm eyeballing it at the moment. I have to go back in and ask more questions. Mm-hmm. But more than I thought, some of these respondents would say, Oh no, both my parents are doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we focus on my dad because he was more egregious or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um Mm-hmm. But yes, it's it's so important that um that these adults start to say, No, this is not mine. This is really, this is, this legacy is not the one I want to carry anymore. This is, I want to give this back to you, you know. We have that sort of phrase in the therapy business, we want to give this back. And there's some real symbolic and literal feeling and meaning to that, right? Mm-hmm. Is that there's something very powerful when I acknowledge or realize that this is not really me. Mm-hmm. I'm carrying it and I have to deal with it, but I didn't cause this. Right, although I think it does complicate things when you've had your own sexual shame that is you that was probably a result of your family system, um, and yes. it gets really blurry, as you mentioned earlier. But I, use, I encourage my clients to practice this four tools. Yeah, it's called the four tools of inner conflict. And the first thing I want them to practice saying is, how, was, how did I contribute to my own sexual shame? Yeah. And to own it. And mm-hmm. then part of tool number one is to say, but you know what? 10% was about me because 90% was who I grew up with and how I lived and the messages I got. That's mm-hmm. tool number one. 
tool number two is then to say, well, 10% is about me, 90% is about the other person, and I'm going to practice the mantra. And the mantra is, um, this is not about me. This mm-hmm. has affected me. But this is not who I am, and I can make changes. Then that mm-hmm. third nice. Yeah, that third tool is based on Eleanor Roosevelt. You know, she said, nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent. And I say, if the Carol the Coachism, I will not give my mother or my father the power to make me want or need to carry this burden any longer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice, I like that. And the last tool is that they have to use the F word, the other F word. Faith. <laughs> it's faith. Faith in themselves that they can practice those boundaries and practice assertiveness and give it back. Mm-hmm. Or faith that they can share this with somebody who's probably been pretty sick in their family and and externalize it, even though, like you said, they're going to be burdened with being pulled back in. Mm-hmm. Or faith in their higher power that, you know, if they let go and let God take it and really practice healthy behaviors, they really can live the life they deserve, but with some real support and some real help. And that's why I'm so excited that I can feel a whole support system for adult children that's going to come as a result of the book that you all wrote. Well, that's, that's our hope, is that this opens the door to some healing. And I love your four points. And I would just add to remind people by the time they get into their adulthood, this book is downloaded as familiar and normal to them. Mm-hmm. It's a part of them, right? It's cellular. <laughs> yeah, it isn't going away exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's a daily commitment to notice when I'm relapsing into my old shame. Mm-hmm. It isn't. They say, no, 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 no. I'm free today from that. So reminding your audience it's a daily deal. Mm-hmm. Recovering from an addiction, right? You get a daily reprieve. Mm-hmm. And um, so I like that you, you know, you're, you're encouraging that. Um, but it's hard, you know. I, I and it, we just we just finished our first class, and these these um, adult children they want more. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you open this up, because what they need is they need to be held in that frame for a period of time, mm-hmm. to, to be to be honored in their voice that they're an adult child of a sex addict and not to leave that frame, you know, so sometimes so quick. I, I noticed this in my enmeshment uh, training. I have an enmeshment training for therapists I do once a, once a year. And I have a referral base on my website on overcoming enmeshment. And I've been getting emails lately from clients saying, hey, I went to somebody on your website. They didn't know what they were talking about on enmeshment. <laughs> and I said, well, that can't be because I know some of these therapists are really good. And uh, I realize that probably what's happening is they're, they're too quick to leave the framing of the story. Mm. You know, so they're too, in this case, the investment story. In our case, we're talking about the adult child story. So one of the big things we got out of the partner trauma model was the framing of the story was finally active. And so a lot of the healing, you know better than I, that comes out of the, for that group is to hold that frame and to hold them in that container in that healing ritual space for a period of time. And I want to say the same thing needs to be true for the adult children. That don't be too quick to leave your frame. Let that, one of the beauties of the recovery models is that it opens the door with the right label and the right framing. It opens the door to a lot 
possibilities, wrong labels, you know, uh, being too quick to put your own model on somebody may miss a point. So um, I hope that, that people will, will seek out therapists. Okay. We're going to do training in December for ITAP, by the way. Um, I'm going to be part of, um, I think I may be doing it all. I'm not sure. I, I believe we're still working on that. Um, the best practices on working with adult children. So I hope therapists, I hope your audience will allow themselves enough time in that cocoon of identification and to know that about themselves so they can begin to let go and not be too quick to leave that framework. It's the beauty of the recovery models, in my opinion. You know, mm-hmm. We see it with alcoholics and addicts and partners. Um, if you've got the right model and the right framing, uh, all possibilities open up. I bet. Well, and I got a couple professionals I probably can send your way that are that is doing this work, and they're coaches, and they're able to do it anywhere in the world. So, and they've lived that life, and they sure do seem healthy. And maybe you want to interview them and see if they might be part of the team. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Ken Adams, uh, thank you so much. I want to remind our listening audience, this is a brand new book. It came out two months ago. February, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and it is called A Light in the Dark, The Hidden Legacy of Adult Children of Sex Addicts. And you've been listening to Dr. Ken Adams. He is an expert in the field of enmeshment. And now this, he's been... um, been working on this for a while, and it's really something that I, I feel so close to because sexual shame is at the root mm-hmm. of so many addictions. And uh, Ken, thank you for your work. You're amazing. You always have been. You always will be. Do take care. Thank you, Carol, for your work as well. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, all right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. See you later. Bye-bye. So again, Dr. Ken Adams, uh, making it his own, and uh, he's been quite a faculty for ITAP, and a faculty member that has a lot of gifts. If you are an adult child of a sex addict, feel free to contact Ken Adams at his clinic in Michigan and share your story. I'm sure he's going to want to get research from you, do that survey and find out more, it would be great if we could make it a thousandfold as opposed to a hundred people. And I just so appreciate you hanging out with me. Um, this is, as usual, always been a great experience. I, I just did that five-day intensive with couples in Washington. Hello to you all. Just some amazing work. I mean, there was so much wounding when we got there. And I have to say, every single couple left holding hands, smiling, talking. It was more than I could have asked for. That IRCA model just really works. <laughs> it just really works. Like we actually worked them through the book. And if you're interested in something like that, I'm thinking about doing a three-day intensive, um, Heidi Kinsella is going to do another five-day intensive out there in Washington State, and I would be doing, uh, I'd be doing Indianapolis. But please uh, let us know. Let us know what you need. Even though I'm trying to lean into retirement, 
I'm here for you all. So as I say, you know, I was passing around those coping skills for my book, and one of them is fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. And like 60%, well, that'd probably be four, people, four couples, they love that. And I said, you guys obviously don't listen to the podcast. I say it at the end of every show. Um, and they said, well, it's just so inspirational. And I said, then memorize it, every podcast, every presentation. There will only be one of you at all times. Fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. We'll see you next week for more Sex Help with Carol the Coach.